Welcome to This Must Be The Place, a podcast about communities and the people who build, support, and live in them. I'm your host, Greg Dunlap. Today on the podcast, we're going to talk with Lisa Maria Marquis, an independent consultant living in Boston. Uh, Lisa Maria is a frequent speaker on the UX and content strategy conference circuit, as well as being the author of the excellent book, Everyday Information Architecture, which was published last year by A Book Apart. And today we're going to be talking about none of those things at all. So uh, welcome to the podcast, Lisa. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you very much for thinking of me on this podcast. Sure. Uh, so you have a private Slack that's about Star Trek, and that's what we're going to talk about today. That makes me sound extremely cool. Thank you for that. (laughs) (laughs) Who doesn't want to be identified Um, as the person with the private group about Star Trek? (laughs) Uh, I mean, sounds good to me. So yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, tell me about this uh, little community that you've put together and how it got started. Sure. Uh, So (laughs) it is, uh, it is, you know, first, first we can say it, like we said, it's a private Slack group. What I mean by that is it's, it's my friends. It's people I personally know who, who I wanted to bring together into one space so that we could um, share our very nerdy gifts with each other um, without like polluting Twitter with it. So, right. so we needed that space. And um, I knew we needed that space because what had happened was, you know, I would go to conferences, uh, I would go to these things where you would maybe see your your professional colleagues who would become friends once or twice or three times a year, you know, on the various conference circuits, I guess. And you know, you, you go to the conference and then you're at the bar afterwards and you're, you're talking and someone brings up Star Trek and all of a sudden three people join the conversation with like the most enthusiasm you've ever heard. And we all get really excited and start shrieking. And then we talk about Star Trek until two in the morning. Um, that happened <laughs> at a couple of different <laughs> conferences. And, um, and, and we became sort of uh, people who knew each other in this, this professional context, but who also shared this, this, ever burning passion for <laughs> the Roddenberry world. And um, we tried, I think, a few different ways um, to to make this community happen in a way that felt continuous with our conference experiences and uh, mostly through Twitter, right? We would, we would sort of try to, it, it got to the point where I would see something related to Star Trek and I would tweet it and I'd start tagging the people I wanted to see. And it was just like, the whole tweet was just tags. And I was like, <laughs> this is not sustainable, right? To, in order to make sure everyone I know who, know who loves Star Trek can see this, you know, this picture of a Cardassian or whatever, you know, like, like it was just gift, not. That gift, that gift content must be seen. It's very important. Yes. Yes. Well, and it made my life much more difficult, you know, in this regard when Swear Trek got started and that Twitter account's <laughs> just constantly firing on all cylinders. And, you know, luckily everyone started following them on, on their own. So, you know, it wasn't on me to always share the gifts. But the point is it was, you know, Twitter was too nonlinear, right? It really, you couldn't have conversations. Um, also, uh, over the last couple of years, uh, well, not really over the last couple of years, many years ago at this point, um, I started a Tumblr, right, that was about Star Trek. Um, And again, I'm very cool. I can't stress that enough. I'm very cool. (laughs) Um, I started a Tumblr uh, that was not just about Star Trek, but it was actually an outlet for me to write these 
personal essays that uh, sort of addressed um, issues of feminism and inclusion in in Star Trek episodes. Uh, so it was it was just a bit of like cultural criticism in a very informal context. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't writing like journalistic pieces. I wasn't sending them out anywhere. I just I just wanted a place to like take apart, you know, what does happen in the Ferengi community when women aren't allowed to operate in business? You know, like what impact does that have on a society and how, what lessons can we take from that in, into our own culture? So um, I started this Tumblr and I, I found that I enjoyed it. I ran it for, I don't know, two years, maybe it's, it's been a couple of years since I really did anything with it. Um, I really enjoyed spending my time that way and thinking through those problems and, and experiencing those thought exercises, but they were just me, you know, and, and I didn't have, I didn't have anyone to, to be like, well, okay, but how, what is the user experience behind the universal translator? Right? Like, how do we get into this? Or an example that came up today in my Slack group is like, where are the bathrooms on the shuttles? So these like very <laughs> specific, very, I mean, nerdy questions, but the kinds of questions that only come up um, amongst, you know, serious fans who are, who are really not just casual watchers of a show, but who are immersed in the world building qualities of, of a, a piece of media and want other people to, to share ideas about and, and talk about. And I think the fact that I work in uh, user experience and information architecture and content strategy means that I, I am already asking those kinds of questions about, you know, my own world, right? I, I ask those questions on websites. I ask those questions of companies and it, it's not difficult for me to apply those skills to the the society I'm looking at in, in the Trek universe. So I think that's why we kept having these conversations at conferences and then trying to have them on Twitter. And then, you know, I had my Tumblr and it all kind of coalesced until I was like, oh, I guess I just need a Slack group <laughs> because I, I I didn't want to leave Twitter. Right. I like I liked Twitter. Um, and as we all know, Twitter has sort of become a garbage fire recently. And so it mm -hmm. was it's hard to use Twitter the way I used it a few years ago. Um, I didn't like the idea of moving to Slack because Slack is um, a, a closed system. Uh, we can talk about that more later, but it, it's a closed system. And so I, I didn't love that idea. Um, Twitter has the advantage of, you know, you can share something with a bunch of people, but someone new can walk into that conversation. And we don't get that on, on Slack. But it was the best pay way to bring everyone together and have those sustained conversations. Uh, so I asked a friend of mine uh, if she would join me if I started a Slack for that. And she said yes. And I said, good enough. And I just started inviting <laughs> Other folks I knew, I was like, if I have one person, that's at least I've got one place with one person. Okay. But uh, I'm actually not sure how many members are in the group now, but it, it is more than one. Uh, and, and they are all, um, you know, uh, friends of mine who I, I know like to talk about, uh, take apart the, the issues that are inherent in uh, a piece of media. Yeah. I mean, you touched on something interesting there, which is this whole kind of balance or, you know, weighing of the scales against an open environment where everybody can be involved and a closed environment where it's a bummer that people can't be involved, but you can also have a lot more control over the kind of conversations that happen or the way that you govern a space. And I mean, especially when you look at a series 
or a, or a couple of spaces that are as widely opposing on those things as like Twitter versus a close <laughs> Slack group, right? Yes. Um, and uh, like, like, did that enter into your decision making? Like that you would be able to create a place that you were able to govern, maybe set a set of standards around discussions uh, as a part of this. Absolutely, absolutely. I, I, I mean, there's a there's a lot to unpack actually in in this this topic. Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so where do I start? Um, I mean, I I think I did want. I was nervous about it, right? I was very nervous because I wanted to be able to control the conversation on the one hand, um, in that I didn't want, you know, Joe Rando showing up and, you know, either being disruptive or, or derailing or um, harming other members of the community. You know, I wanted to make sure that the group was going to be uh, supportive and inclusive and and model the values that uh, that that I felt I had and, and that I felt my friends had, you know, so I, I wanted a certain mm-hmm. amount of control there. But that also means I have that responsibility to ensure that that then happens as well. And, and I think it's very easy for us to say, well, but I, I'm, I am this way. So obviously a community I run will be this way too. But we all have blind spots and, you know, we, we can't really control uh, everything that goes on. You know, I think I'm in control of, of this group, you know, in a sense, but like, I'm not, I'm not. Um, it, the buck stops with me, but everyone is their own person and they, you know, they say things, they make jokes, uh, you know, we can't always control how those jokes will land. I, I, it's a bit of an illusion, really, to think that just because one is running a community, one is controlling that community, right? So that's, oh, yeah, that's one issue. <laughs> Um, when you when you made it, did you create any kind of like a formal code of conduct or anything like that for it to express that? Or has it been more of a casual, I know that the people who I've invited understand what we're after here kind of thing? Oh, no, no, no. I had a code of conduct because mm, okay. you, you cannot leave it to, to right. the latter thing you said. You know, you, you just can't trust that everyone's on the same page. Everyone's my friend. So we all think this way. And we, we do to the most part, I think a lot of us share, um, you know, very similar values and, and certainly have similar understandings of how things work. But if it's not written down, if there's not a place to point to and say, this is what we all believe, then it doesn't count. It doesn't count. So um, getting a code of conduct put together was literally the most important thing I did before I invited anyone to my Slack group. It was, I was not going to start that community unless I had something, uh, on, I was going to say on paper, but on the screen, you know, that, that actually laid out, here's what I expect. Here's how people should conduct themselves. It's interesting because a lot of places, I mean, it's not surprising to me, given the fact that I know you and what your care, your care, the care that you put into the world and things like that. Um, but I, I think that a lot of people who set up these casual spaces have a tendency to not think about those things until problems arise. Exactly. Exactly. And it's because it's because I know that, right? It's because I know that right, that's Right, sure. Because you've, you've been on the bad end of that enough times. Absolutely. I, you know, when you go to enough conferences, you know, when you are involved in industry discussions about whether conferences should have codes of conduct. I mean, this was, oh, this was a big, there was a big Twitter blow up years ago. Um, honestly, years, like five years ago, uh, six, six years ago. God, who knows? Um, about <laughs> codes of conduct in, uh, at UX conferences. And, 
you know, I came down very hard on the side of you need one. You have to have one. Your conference is not a safe space unless you have one. Um, and I, I just still believe that. And even though I was setting up a casual, informal, digital thing with my friends, you know, it's it's. It's, it's exactly the same advice as going into business with your friends, right? You still need to have a oh, contract. Yeah. You still need to write things down. You still need to say who's responsible for what, who's making what payments, whatever it is, you know, like this stuff has to get written down or else problems will occur. So it was very important to me that, that I establish something um, before, honestly, before I even sent out an invite, I was like, this has to be, this, this has to be visible and present in the Slack group. Uh, I think the uh, parallels to starting a business with your friends is an excellent way to look at it. Um, you know, in terms of just in terms of, again, you're right, setting expectations and making sure that everybody understands what they're getting into. And, you know, it's so funny uh, starting this Slack group for Star Trek fans um, has really kind of driven home the point that even though you think you and your friends all believe the same thing, you really don't. Uh, because yeah, like there, I love everyone who's in my little community, but like some, some of y'all got some opinions that I don't agree with, you know, like, <laughs> like s- some people just feel like certain things aren't canon and some series don't count and some series are worse than others. And, you know, like those, you know, we're all going to have different opinions on who the best captain was, you know, like that's, even though we are friends and even though we share so many similar overlapping perspectives, like we can't agree on these things. Uh, so why would we assume, like, if we can't agree on these very simple things that have, like, no value or stake in anything, you know, there's <laughs> oh, no right. risk to this. Why Why do you think we would automatically believe exactly the same thing when it comes to the, the care and safety of people? So that's, you have to write this stuff down. How long have you had this group together? Not very long. Um, I started it, I want to say around the time the pandemic started. No connection. Oh, wow. No connection. Mm -hmm. It was, it was not like, well, small connection (laughs) in that, in that, uh, I think there was maybe an element of like, well, it's not like I'm doing anything else. Might as well. Uh, but, but yeah, it was, it was in the, it was maybe in March. It was in the spring sometime. Um, uh, so I, th- I, th- I find that really interesting because I had been under the impression that it had been around for a longer time because it seems fairly clear to me that the needs that this group serves, and this, this is probably somewhat intentional and somewhat in the nature of bringing together groups of friends, but has expanded beyond the scope of simply having a place to talk about Star Trek. You mean sometimes we talk about Firefly too? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, or, I mean or, or even uh or even books and comics or you know yeah. other other mediums for science fiction nerdery. It it got pretty broad pretty immediately, which actually yeah. surprised me. I mm-hmm. started it by creating in Slack a separate channel for each Trek series. Um and I sort of said, okay, well, you know, if people have 
some kind of science fiction related topic that isn't Trek, but they still want to talk about it. And I was thinking like, maybe someone wants to say something about star Wars. Please don't. Uh, but, but <laughs> you know, maybe someone would, I was like, put it in the random channel. You know, I sort of made like this misc category and I was like, all right, go nuts. And it took like one day. And all of a sudden we had like a Battlestar channel. We had a firefly channel. Um, we made, we made very quickly made a books and comics channel. So we could talk about just, reading recommendations, nothing to do with Trek at all. So there mm-hmm. was, there was a sense of, okay, we all like, you know, when, when you like one sci-fi thing, you tend to like other sci-fi things, right? So a lot of us have seen the same sci-fi shows from, from the nineties and aughts. And we wanted to talk about those, but also we're really just, you know, ingesting media, right? We're really just talking about the ways that we consume and think about media. So it's a very natural thing to, I think, just say, well, what are you reading right now? You know, I'm looking for a new novel. I'm looking for a piece of nonfiction. What's what's on your plate? And the folks in there are just so willing to to share what they're doing and, and talk about it. So I think it's really nice the way it expanded so quickly and so organically to encompass so much more than Trek, even though that is still the kernel that, you know, brings us together and and cements a lot of our conversation. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know how anybody else feels, but I know that, and you know, I think this probably ties together with the timing of the pandemic that having discussions that carry so much and yet so little weight is really refreshing. <laughs> yeah, I've I've found it to be um, a, a necessary place to spend time. Sometimes um, uh, it, you just need you need to laugh. You need to have moments that that make you feel alive <laughs> and right. not not just constant frustration and constant anger. There needs to be a break in that somehow. So I think this is a time when a lot of small communities are flourishing um, because we need more intense connections right now. Yeah. I mean, that's, um, you know, I, I've, I've been involved in online communities for a really long time, like going back to the BBS days and something that I've noticed that has not changed in all of those decades of watching people get together online is that, it seems like there always comes a point where people need to subdivide. Mm. Um, like, like you know, a community, I, I usually see this when communities reach around 100 people. And sometimes that subdividing turns into a group of people like, like, like you're looking at, you know, here's a group of people that I met in the UX and content strategy world, and we're going to go over here and talk about Star Trek. And you don't necessarily leave the, or say the UX and content strategy world sucks. It's just like, (laughs) I like these people and we want to hang out. Um, But, you know, I've definitely seen it the other way too, where there's a group of people who say, we're going to take our toys and go over here. And, and it's, it's really, it's really, it's it's always fascinated me what what that need is right large groups are great and people love them but people also like crave the connection from smaller groups too um and it's like where i mean i mean you've given some examples of 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 how you know why you felt the need or why you felt the need to create this group but I, I was thinking of it from like a bigger picture standpoint, like like what is it in us as people that feel this like need to like carve ourselves out from other groups of people? <laughs> I think it's very 
individual in some ways. I mean, obviously trends throughout throughout society, but uh, some people some people love large groups, right? I mean, I, I don't, mm-hmm. right? I'm an introvert and <laughs> large groups are very stressful to me. And I don't want to be part of a 10,000 member Slack community. Um, around the time that I started my Star Trek group, um, a friend invited me to a large Slack community. I don't know how many people, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was 10,000. Um, mm-hmm. But it was a it was a private, it was like an invite only Slack group. And uh, this person invited me because they were like, oh, you like Star Trek. Well, we have a Star Trek channel in this group. You should come participate in it. And I got in there. I stayed, I stayed maybe a week, maybe two. And then I quit because it, mm-hmm. it, I couldn't find purchase, right? I couldn't find any kind of foothold to engage me in. People might've been talking about interesting things, but it was such a large group with so many unfamiliar faces. I didn't know anyone except the person who had invited me (laughs) and like, you know, there was just nothing to make me feel like I could approach someone. It was, it was like going to a conference and walking into that, that big room uh, where everyone's standing around with a cup of coffee already immersed in their conversation with their friends. And, and you can't, you're like, I guess I'll just stand next to the crudités and talk to the wall, you know, like it just didn't really, that's too big of a group. Um, I do better when there's like a smaller set, you know, the scope is smaller. It's expected to be more intimate. You can make deeper connections. Um, that's not to say there aren't times when, when you want to talk to the crudités again, but like, sure. it's, it's, you know, I think different types of personalities, someone else thrown into that exact same giant Slack group might've totally loved it and just become a, a major member of it, you know, but, but not me, I, I couldn't do it that way. So I don't know. I don't know. I think carving out smaller groups is a way of making socializing manageable for some of us. I think it's a way of um, uh, establishing or asserting identity, right? Um, that's, we identify ourselves so much through uh, the music and movies we love, right? Like that's, that, especially like, maybe, I don't know. I'm thinking maybe of teenage years when it's like your music is everything. Like the band you listen to is completely like 90% of your identity is like who you're listening to. Um, but, but we still do that. Right. Even as adults, we, we really think about like, Oh, I'm a, I'm a Trekkie, you know, like there's a word for it. You know, that's, that's part of my identity. No, it's interesting because I've actually used that. And I didn't even really think about this until now in my own personal life. Like I actually remember the first time that I met you and I have this shirt. It has the lyrics to the song Maps by the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's on it, right? Oh, yeah. And you, and you were, and you said, you know, God, I love that song. It's so special. And like, I love that <laughs> song and I think it's very special. And there's that like connection right there, yeah, right? Exactly, exactly. We, we, we were friends because of that moment. <laughs> right, Exactly. <laughs> Even though, like, I don't know any other Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's songs. That is, like, the only <laughs> song by them I know, but I love it so sure. much. So, yeah, it, yes. it gave us a point of um, a, a, a cultural reference point, a touchstone that that mm-hmm. said you're not just you're not just a face in this giant sea of people. I'm not just a face. Now we're going to have something we can point to and say, ah, we we speak this language together. Yeah, and I think that another thing that I'm thinking about there is that you know, one of the reasons maybe that we've seen this online so much is because online communities do tend to attract introverts, I think. (laughs) And, and you're right. Introverts in general 
like they're just more comfortable with smaller groups. So an introvert might join a smaller group and as it grows, they're like, I need to, I need to pull this back a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I think also too, there's, it's not necessarily entirely this, but there is, I think you need to rely more on those cultural connections online because you don't have uh, facial expressions. You don't have tone of voice. You don't have the kinds of social cues and ways of getting to know people that you have in real life. So it becomes, I think, more important in digital spaces to sort of assert like, these are the, these are the TV shows I watch and this is what I listen to and this is how I dress and this is, you know, this is who I am. Uh, distilled into these like easily packaged bites <laughs> so that I can communicate right. it digitally. I can share who I am digitally. Mm-hmm. And another thing that has struck me as I've thought about this heading into this conversation is like, you talked about the ways that even in your own group, um, you know, all of these channels spawned off for different things. Right. And, you know, your work inherently is tied to taxonomizing information. Right. (laughs) And, and it's, it's interesting how in a way this is kind of our way of taxonomizing ourselves almost. Right. Like, 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 like we are creating the categories that define who we are to the world. Yes. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that is so much of what we do in information architecture, in taxonomy, in uh, the concepts of categorizing and, and organizing things, uh, is that we are trying to make sense of the world. We are trying to kind of take in all of this data, all of this sensory information and parse it um, to make it easier to live <laughs> really I mean, that sounds very dramatic but like that's that's what it is right that's what we're doing we're trying to understand like who are we and what are we doing here um god it gets a, this very fundamental kind of existential thing i never thought of it that way but yeah it is it is like a very deep existential like what am i doing with my life where am i going um and being well, able right, to and you, yeah go ahead i'm sorry oh no i was just gonna say you know you 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 did a talk at Design Content Conference a couple of weeks ago, and you bring up this quote by Richard Saul Worman, where it's like, when you categorize information, you also create new information, right? Yes, and 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 I feel like over time, as I found these sort of niches for myself, they've changed the way I view myself in addition to the way that I present myself to the world, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, this is how we this is, it's not just about communicating to other people who we are by saying, I like Star Trek. It's also understanding ourselves, right? It's also how we Mm -hmm. identify ourselves to ourselves. So, you know, am I, (laughs) am I really a Trekkie if I don't have my group? (laughs) (laughs) Am am I, I mean, if if you don't have this, this is just like issues of representation in the media, right? Like if you don't see yourself reflected out there, um, in movies and TV shows, in your friends, in your in your social circle, in your culture, then like it is hard to understand yourself. It is hard to like understand where you fit in with all of that. So I think finding connections with other people who who also sort themselves into these categories is like super important to to just functioning well uh, in society. <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um... 
for for something as simple as a gathering place for people who love Star Trek, it really it really does seem to me, and I think this is one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about it because you know, I'm I'm probably in you know forty slacks, but probably. <laughs> Probably 20 of them have no more than 20 members. And there's some variation of what you're discussing here, right? They they are basically closed or loosely governed groups of people with a common interest. And a lot of them have people who overlap and a lot of them who don't. But but you know, I I think I feel like there's there's like a real human need that this kind of grouping or this kind of, you know, format of of putting people together and managing them in some way just really fulfills something that's very core to who a lot of people are. I always felt like I was much more online than my real life friends um, 20 years ago, right? Like it just, I was always doing something with, oh God, I was never on MySpace because I don't know why, but like back in the MySpace era, like I, I was on Friendster, I was on Diaryland, I was on LiveJournal, you know, like Live all journal, the, yeah. right, all the old school kind of emergent digital communities of the late 90s and early aughts. Um, I was there when no, none of my real life friends were, none of them cared. They didn't do that. Um, and that was just always something I loved. So I was a pretty early adopter of Twitter. Um, I made almost all of the friends I currently have right now I have made through Twitter. Um, not recently, <laughs> not recently on Twitter, but, <laughs> but like 10 years ago on Twitter, um, these, these are connections that I made digitally that, that morphed into very intense and important real world friendships. Um, so it makes sense to me that I have now kind of continued that trend for myself into Slack. You know, that's just a different platform to, to carry those conversations over away from a platform that has become really toxic. Um, but to get back to, to something you said about that earlier, the downside is, you know, Slack is a closed community. And so what I worry about now is yes, I get to control this group. Yes. I get to have my little conversations with my little friends. Um, but who's getting left out of this conversation, right? Who, who is not able to say, oh, I love Star Trek too. I want to talk to you. You know, like who is, who is not getting to participate in this community? And maybe that doesn't seem like a big deal because it's Star Trek. Like who cares? Find another group of Star Trek people to talk to, whatever, you know, like there's lots of Trekkies out there, believe me. But it becomes more important when we're talking about a Slack group that is say, um, you know, female professionals who are basically operating a whisper network, you know, mm -hmm. who doesn't have access to that space because it's on Slack or, you know, if, if I'm hearing in a Slack group that I shouldn't trust such and such conference organizer, or I shouldn't trust such and such UX leader because they're abusive. That's information I'm getting because I'm part of a closed group. And right. Absolutely. how do you open that up while also keeping people safe? And I mean, as far as I can tell, you can't, and that sucks. That sucks. So I don't know. I'm, I'm stuck. I think, I think that balance is really important and really difficult. And it's one of the sort of, you know, fundamental paradoxes that we encounter in these, in these online groups in that, you know, 
there's a lot of times information and you know, I think of it in the other end, like for instance, say you've got a Slack with a bunch of VCs and tech CEOs, right? right? They're controlling access to the information that they find valuable and use to enrich themselves, right? It's, 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 it's like the other side of the same coin. So it's like the closed systems can be dangerous in some use cases, but they're also useful in others. And it's the parts where they overlap, where there's some paradoxical things that I don't have a good answer to working out either. Yeah, why not? <laughs> It'd be nice to kind of like finish this, this conversation. Like, Here's the answer. We got it. <laughs> Greg and LMM brainstormed and we figured it out. And uh, we, we, we didn't. We didn't figure it out. It's, it's tricky. It's tricky. I think, I think another thing that's important when you talk about the value of these closed spaces, especially when you have people are friends, and I've seen it in your group a bit. And I think I've seen it more in other groups, but especially in a time like where we're all so isolated from other people in physical spaces and neighborhoods and families and stuff like that, is that they become real support networks for people. Like, like yes, this is a place for a bunch of people to get together and talk about Star Trek, but because it's kind of a controlled place where people generally know each other or are all in the same worlds, after a while, people do kind of start to open up about other things than Star Trek or even science fiction, you know, in their lives. And that can also be really valuable for people, especially if they don't necessarily have that network in any other way. Yeah, actually, I think that's, that's one of the things that I love about, um, about having a community, uh, like running a Slack community. And it's also one of the things I love about Star Trek and, and media criticism and, watching things in order to take them apart in general is because they provide gateways to like very important and, and uh, tender discussions of things, you know, yeah. like you, you mm -hmm. watch an episode of, I'm trying to think of an example, but like, it, I, of course I can't think of anything off the top of my head while I'm on a podcast, but uh, you know, if you watch an episode of a show where someone experiences trauma, that becomes a point of someone in your group saying, I know what that's like, and mm -hmm. I want to talk about it because I need to talk about it or something, you know, like, so I think when, when you engage in media criticism that way, I think it's important to create space for those conversations to happen around it. Um, otherwise, otherwise, what are you doing? Like, otherwise, why are you yeah. watching the show? Yeah. You know, like if right. you're not going to be open to, to real life stories about, um, about how things impact people. I mean, uh, drama is inherently about, about conflict and about, about what happens between people. And so a show that is a show like Star Trek shows like Star Trek, um, Treks, so many shows, <laughs> um, they, they provide us those windows, right? They give us those, those opportunities to think about how, our own lives um, <laughs> just cross and unfold and get messy. Mm -hmm. And um, that was part of why, like I said, I wanted that code of conduct from the very beginning. I wanted to make sure that the people who were in my group were going to be uh, safe for each other, supportive of things like that, that might come up. Um, I mean, I don't think, I don't think my group has seen anything that was like, no one has like unpacked trauma in my group. That's, I don't mean to right. imply that. No, that no, no, I understand. You know, I think things things are sensitive, right? Like things just come up. Um, we were 
Okay, I'll give an example uh, that has nothing to do with Star Trek, but happened in the Star Trek group, which was, you know, we were we were sharing. <laughs> this had nothing to do with Star Trek. We were just sharing baby <laughs> baby pictures of ourselves. We were sharing with mm-hmm. our group uh, childhood photos, um, pictures of us from high school and elementary school, or, or baby pictures. And I I wondered out loud, you know, in the group. Uh, how do you all have so many baby pictures of yourselves? My mother has all of mine. You know, like I don't, I don't have pictures of myself because they're all still, you know, at my mother's house in, in albums. And two people immediately in the thread were like, one said, oh, you know, my mother passed away. So of course I have them. And the other said, yeah, my mother's in a nursing home. Of course I have them. And I was mm-hmm. like, fuck, like that was a really insensitive thing for me to say. Um, because of course I didn't think of that. I didn't mean it that way. I just you know, my own personal experience was that my parents, uh, who are relatively young and, uh, very healthy and have, have a home and they have all these things, they have my stuff, they have memories of my childhood still with them. And and I have not had any opportunity to take them the way that would happen. Uh, if one were putting a parent into, uh, an assisted living facility or, or saying goodbye to a parent. And, that's a very, very simple example of I just didn't think beyond my own experience. It just did not even cross my mind. And I felt I felt very bad and I apologized. And I said, you know, that was that was thoughtless of me. And of course, they in turn were very gracious and uh, uh, forgiving. So I appreciate that. Um, but I'm glad that I have made a space where um, people felt safe to say that to me <laughs> and people felt like they could say those things that were personal to them mm-hmm. and, and that I could be uh that i would have the opportunity to apologize and and be forgiven for it so like cool great good job kind of looping around back to the beginning i feel like if it wasn't for the thought you had put into the space and what you wanted it to be up front that those kinds of connections would be much more difficult to have happen yeah i mean if you don't set those expectations then then what happens is you're watching a tv show together you're talking about a tv show together and it's all surface, you mm-hmm. know, it doesn't, it doesn't go any deeper. It doesn't, you don't engage with it. Um, and you don't engage with each other. And then that's not a community. That's, <laughs> I don't right. know what that is. That's a bulletin board. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> that's a right. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's not, um, that's Wikipedia. I don't know. It's just, it, it doesn't, it's not personal. It's not, uh, uh, what's the point, you know, if you're not going to make a real connection, what's the point? So I think, uh, I think setting that out in it by being purposeful and intentional with, what kind of community I was trying to create, who I wanted to have in it, and what the ground rules were for interaction, I think that helped. Uh, and another thing I'll say about the code of conduct too is I, I do think it's not just it's not enough to just have the code of conduct. It's important to make sure it's visible and it's important to make sure that people who are new to the group know about it and you know have read it and and acknowledge it so that you know it's not just saying, well, we have a code of conduct. It's actually saying this is this is a living document that is part of this space. Um, I think I ended up editing it like a week after I got started because, uh, you know, I had an idea to change something or something someone said led me to change something. So, you know, it's it needs to be a present and and living and, and visible document uh, there to sort of help continue those conversations. And of course, you yourself have to be prepared to do something about it if you need to. Oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, like I said, you get all the control and all the responsibility. And, um, <laughs> That's right. It's tough. It's tough because, you know, like I said, nothing nothing has happened. Nothing negative has happened in, in the group. And uh, I'm glad for that. But something could. And then, honestly, I will have to look at myself and say, well, what do I do? Uh, how, how do I handle this? Yes, I have these guidelines in the code of conduct. And I hope that I will um, 
act to, to my utmost in accordance with that. But I also, just full disclosure, I'm terrified of conflict, terrified of it, cannot handle it. So <laughs> um, if something negative were to happen, you know, like that would, I would struggle with that. And mm-hmm. I wanted to start this Slack group for many months before I actually did it. And that was one of the reasons why it took me so long was because I was like, am I really up for that? Am I really up for addressing a problem if it occurs? Uh, I, I think I am. I think I am, but uh, it's not going to be easy for me. You know, it's, it's going to be tricky. Well, I mean, I think that, you know, I, I would say that most of the conflicts that I've seen in communities that were difficult to resolve were the result of someone not having those conversations with themselves before those problems happened. So I would, I would argue that the fact that you have actually sat down with yourself and faced that and said, yes, I'm up to it means that you almost certainly are because uh, any, because most of the people who I've said, who, who I've encountered who aren't the main reason they're not is because they had never actually believed in their heart that it would ever happen. Um, or, or even worse, they didn't bother thinking about it at all. So, um, I, you know, I, I think, I think that's really the key thing that, um, that a lot of communities miss out, miss out on that you've actually done. Oh, thank you. I actually, that makes me feel a lot better. (laughs) I appreciate the vote of confidence. Good. Um, well, I really appreciate you, uh, sitting down and talking with me about this today, because I think these kinds of communities are really important and really fascinating. Um, if anybody wants to find you out there in the world, um, how would they do that? Or are there any projects Uh, that you're working on that you'd like to plug before we go? Sure. Yeah. Thanks. Um, I would love if people would buy my book, that'd be really cool. Um, uh, it is called Everyday Information Architecture, and it is out from A Book Apart. You can get it at abookapart.com. Um, it is written for anyone who works on the web. So if you are a content person, if you're a copywriter, if you're a designer, if you're a developer, it doesn't matter. Uh, read the book. It's I think it's good. There's a Star Trek joke in it, you know. Um, and uh, uh, you, can, you can follow me on Twitter. Um, except that I really, really am avoiding it these days. So I, I will not really be present if you, if you reach out to me there, but, um, my handle there is red sesame, R E D S E S A M E. And that's also my handle on Instagram where I'm a lot more active. Um, and finally, if you enjoyed the part of this conversation that was about Star Trek, (laughs) um, you can read my old Tumblr. It's still out there. Uh, and it is, it is holodexmachina.tumblr.com. Um, so enjoy, enjoy my essays about the Ferengi. Uh, that's yeah, maybe don't (laughs) edit out that last one. (laughs) I'll link to it in the show notes. Wonderful. Great. <laughs> I, uh, I will also give a hearty vote of confidence uh, for Everyday Information Architecture. It's a really excellent book. I recommend it to every single client I ever work with. Aww. So everyone should definitely go out and buy it. And That is uh, very re- kind of you. It's my pleasure. And I really appreciate you uh, talking today. Thank you. I'm so glad I could be here. Uh, I, uh, I, love, I love talking about Star Trek. I love talking about communities. And uh, this has been an awesome experience. Thanks for listening to This Must Be The Place. 
You can find out more or subscribe at thismustbetheplacepodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at tmbtp underscore podcast. Our theme was composed by Will from America, and our logo was designed by Marissa Epstein. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.